So we'll pick up at Exodus chapter 15, verse 22, and then read through chapter 17, verse 7. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. They set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall take each an omer, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered, some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day... They gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. 
Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now, the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generation, so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness, when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna forty years, till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. An omer is the tenth part of an ephah. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of Sine by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. You shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Let's pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may have had the experience of doing what we're doing today, gathering for worship, and you had an especially nice time of worship. The songs really got to your heart that day. And you rejoiced in the goodness of the Lord, in the, the, the work of Christ on your behalf. And you were overwhelmed with His goodness. And the songs were resonating with everything in you. And you left this place marveling at the goodness of God and the redemption that is in Christ. And the songs were echoing in your mind as you left this place. And you thought, I'm going to go on in this, this experience for the rest of my life, my faith is invincible, it's established on the rock, and then you're driving home and somebody cuts you off. And you, you let out an outburst. And then you get into a tiff with your spouse. And then you, you bark at your kids. And then later in the day, you visit an off-limit website you waste hours during the afternoon just surfing the internet and you get to the end of the day and you wonder what happened to your invincible faith. You wonder what happened to those songs that were playing in your head and, and how so quickly the, 
the songs could could turn off and and your your attitude toward life be so immediately changed well if you can relate to any of these scenarios then you can understand what happened here with the israelites we left them last week what were they doing last week they were on the east side of the red sea they were singing they were dancing they were playing percussion instruments. They were celebrating the goodness of the Lord, the, the redemption that he had given them, given them the victory of God at the Red Sea. And then they got thirsty. And then they got hungry. And everything changed. And that's what we see here. It's kind of sandwiched. There's hunger sandwiched between thirst. That's why this whole long section hangs together. We have a problem with water, we have a problem with food, and then we have another problem with water. And it starts out with a problem with water. First of all, there wasn't water, and then there was water that was bitter water. And they'd gone, it says, three days into the wilderness. Now, you may be familiar with the, the, the law of threes, the survival law of threes, that you can survive three weeks without food, you can survive three days without water, you can survive three hours in an extreme situation without shelter, and you can survive three minutes without oxygen. Well, how long were they in the wilderness? It says they went three days. So they were pushing it. This was not a a, a simple situation. This was a whole nation, a whole community that was in the wilderness three days without water in extreme situations. So they were, were truly in a dire situation. They were facing the possibility of dying of thirst. And what happened was they, they, uh, the place was named after what happened there. You see this all through the Old Testament. It's delightful, really. It says the place was called Mara because they find some water there and the water is Mara. The water is bitter. And so they call that place. We're going to call this place bitterness because the water here is bitter. Well, what do they do? They grumbled against the Lord. This is a verb that we're going to find throughout the next chapters. This verb. It's the first time it shows up in the story here. This verb, grumble. And uh, our word grumble is, is, is sort of a uh, onomatopoeia type word because it sounds like what it is. If you say grumble, 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 over and over, what does it sound like? Grumbling. Yes, exactly. And that's, that's what they were doing. They were grumbling in the, in the wilderness there because the water was bitter. Now, they grumbled against Moses. And Moses, once again, cried out to the Lord. And the Lord, it says, doesn't explain really why or how this, why this was the, the way he did it, but he, he showed Moses a log, a, a tree, and Moses threw it in the water, and, and it was a miracle. And, and God healed the waters there. And then it's interesting that we have a preview of what's coming. We have a preview of the law. Now we're not yet to Sinai. We're, we're getting to the, the, the wilderness of Sin, which may be related to Sinai. And he says here that in verse 26, in verse 25 rather, the Lord made for them a statute and a rule and there he tested them saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. This is the kind of phrase we're going to hear over and over, but he's preparing them. We get a, a preview of what's coming. He's going to give them rules and statutes and, and laws 
and he wants them to give their full attention to them. And he says, if you will do that, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Now here he emphasizes the avoidance of the negative. In other givings of the law, we will find there is the promise of the positive. If you obey my law, great things will happen. But here he's saying, if you obey my law, you'll avoid the bad things. Do you remember the bad things that you just saw in Egypt? Do you remember those plagues? You will not experience them. These were fresh on their minds. So he says, you won't get them if you will obey that which I'm giving you. And then it says in verse 27, Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs of water, and seventy palm trees, an oasis there. And they encamped there by the water. This is what the Lord does throughout Scripture. He provides water for His people. He waters His people. Do you remember Psalm 23? He leads us beside what? Still waters. It's the Lord who gives His people water. Now, that, that's fascinating because when we get to the New Testament, Jesus steps into the role here. And He doesn't step into this role as if He were taking someone else's place. Jesus steps into this role of the water giver as if it were His role. Now, who's the one who gives water to his people? It's the Lord who gives water to his people. And then Jesus, do you remember the woman at the well in chapter 4 of John? They have this conversation, and it's about water. And then Jesus says to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, that I will give him, that's, that's, that's pretty audacious, isn't it? He's placing himself in the, the role of the Lord who waters his people who gives water. He says, everyone who drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the conversation goes on. But notice what Jesus is doing. He's not only placing himself in the role of the water giver, the Lord who gives water to his people, but he is also using this and he's using it as a metaphor, isn't he? He says, yes, I get the idea of physical thirst. And that was she was stuck on that here. The people in the Old Testament were stuck on that, that, that physical thirst. And we need that water, of course. But she's stuck on that here. She, said, she goes on and says, well, give me this water so I don't have to come back here and get more water. That would be great. And he's saying, no, I'm, I'm pushing you beyond that. This is a metaphor. I'm talking about something that will satisfy your soul for all of eternity. Well, then the people move on. They move on from the, the seven springs and the uh, uh, 12 springs and the 70 palms, and they set out and they go to the wilderness of, I'm pronouncing it sign just to make the, it's S-I-N, it's not the word sin, but it's, it's, it's the name of the place, and it looks like it's related to Sinai, which is why I'm calling it sign, which is between Elim and Sinai. And they, it says that they were, it gives a second month, 15th day of the second month after they departed. So they're gone for a few weeks now. And then here we have this verb again, verse 2, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses, and now they bring Aaron in, grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And then they started fondly remembering their abundant life in Egypt. And they said, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord. It's obvious that the Lord wants to kill us here. He should have just killed us there because if he'd killed us there, we would have just been sitting around with these abundant pots of meat and enough bread to eat. How quickly we forget, don't we? What were they in Egypt? Slaves. But all of a sudden, it was looking pretty attractive as they were selectively remembering how difficult uh, their lives were. He said, we had enough 
food to eat. And now you, Moses, Aaron, you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger, imputing to them motives uh, of wanting to kill the whole assembly. And then the Lord spoke and he said he was going to provide two things, but only one of them is the focus here. Later in Numbers, you get to the other one, the quail. But here the quail are mentioned, the birds are mentioned, but they're not the focus here. The bread is the focus here. Because I'm going to provide meat at night and bread in the morning. Okay, And he describes how that will work. And uh, before he he does that, though, uh, Moses, he says, uh, Moses wants to remind them that it was the Lord. Moses reminded them in verses 6 to 8, Moses and Aaron said to all the people, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumblings against the Lord. For what are we that you should grumble against us? Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him. Who are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. A bit repetitive, isn't it? He's saying you're grumbling and you're grumbling against the Lord. It wasn't we who brought you out here. This was not our idea. And he could say, go check the history. I didn't even want to do this. And I got my brother into it. This wasn't our idea. This was the Lord who did this. He did this for you. So if you're going to grumble against anybody, you are grumbling against the Lord. Now, all of our grumbling is really against the Lord. We think we're grumbling against the elected officials. We think we're grumbling against our, our colleagues. We think we're grumbling against our neighbors. We think we're grumbling against our, our husbands and our wives. And they may be the the, the immediate target of our grumbling. But, but who placed them where they are? Who placed us with them? Who's the one that has, has made all this happen? It's the Lord, and so we need to be careful. And remember that whenever we grumble, we're really complaining against the Lord. We're grumbling against Him. And actually, Paul uses this incident and other incidents of the people in the wilderness and says, don't be like them. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 10, he says, don't grumble like they did. In the wilderness. Now, the glory of the Lord then appeared, promised to give meat. And I want you to see the purpose here in verses 9 and following. Say to the whole congregation, Come near, he's heard your grumbling. And then he says, Look to the wilderness, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Then he says, I have heard your grumbling. At twilight you shall eat meat, in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know, at the end of verse 12, you shall know that I am the Lord your God. If you've been following along in this series, that's a refrain, isn't it? And up to this point, it's been directed toward whom? You remember? Who would know the Lord? Pharaoh would know the Lord. The Egyptians would know the Lord. But now it turns out that the people of God are standing in need of knowing the Lord. And so it's not that he just wanted the Egyptians and Pharaoh to know him. He wanted his own people to know him. And it, they didn't know him as they should have. He says, you will know the Lord. Now, you probably are familiar with this story of the manna. It, it appeared six days a week. And it was good for that day. It had that, that stamp, you know, eat by such and such a date. But it said, eat by today. Eat it today. Okay, so it was enough for every day. And people went out and they gathered what they 
they needed for the day, and, and it was enough for that day. But there was an exception, and it was a very kind of odd exception. And that was on the sixth day, there would be enough to gather twice as much. And if you, if you kept it more than one day in the week, it would, it would rot, it would stink. But if you kept that was provided on the sixth day, it wouldn't. And there would be enough for the seventh day. So this is a very, very interesting situation, arrangement. And here we have, we have the first instruction of Scripture about Sabbath, about resting one day a week. And it's the first time it shows up. Now, it's obviously based on the creation So we have the pattern in creation of six days of work and one day of rest. That's what God did. But this is the first time that there is instruction about Sabbath in the Scripture. And it's before we get to the Ten Commandments. So we're getting these previews of coming attractions. And it's interesting that the the idea was these people would be day to day. And there were two purposes of, of the provision of the manna, two purposes of the the institution of the Sabbath day. And the two purposes were, one, to provide for their needs, and two, to test them to see if they would trust in the Lord. To test them. And he says that here. I will do this to test them. To test what? To test and see if they would obey the Lord and trust in the Lord. Now, um, the people disobeyed in two different ways. At first. They didn't get it at first. Verse 20, they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. And then you go down to 27. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. So some of them disobeyed during the six days, and others disobeyed during that, uh, that seventh day. But then there's a cheering, cheering idea here. They eventually learned. Verse 30, so the people rested on the seventh day. Now, if we've read from the beginning of Genesis, that should sound familiar. The Lord rested on the seventh day. The people rested on the seventh day. They learned to imitate the Lord and they learned to trust the Lord. It's interesting that in the Lord's prayer that we actually, we, were, we prayed it today. Um, what did we pray? Yeah, we prayed, give us this Lord, our what? Our daily bread. Now, in the abundance in which we live, that, that, that prayer is, is probably not very powerful for us. It doesn't, it doesn't get to us because we're not concerned, probably, in, in most or all of our cases with what we're going to eat today or tomorrow or even next week. But, but this, is the, this is the lesson of that prayer, and it, it's based on this idea. Lord, give us what we need today. Now, we may have our... Our, our food needs satisfied for today and tomorrow and for the coming days, but, but we, we need to learn the same lesson. Are we going to learn to trust the Lord day by day to give us what we need? And are we going to be able to hit pause once a week and say, I am going to trust the Lord to provide for all of my needs, even if I am currently not being active in gaining anything? Can I trust the Lord to provide for all of my needs. Well, there's a, a, uh, a discussion about the manna, a description of what it looked like, a little bit about what it tasted like, and then the name is a delightful name, manna. 
Um, it, it, it sounds like uh, the, the, well, it's actually Aramaic and some Canaanite language. It's not exactly Hebrew, so there's some discussion about why it's manna instead of ma'a, uh, which would be Hebrew ma'a, but, but manna. Uh, but it means, what is it? Isn't that delightful? Uh, what is it? And so God provided this bread that they called, what is it? Because they didn't know what it was. And they kept some. They kept some. And this, this bread that would, would, would rot after a day or at most two days, they kept it. And they kept some of it and they kept it intact as a testimony. And it lasted for 40 years. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And at this point, we should be saying, what? 40 years? Why 40 years? This journey would take a few weeks. Why 40 years? Well, later we're going to find out why 40 years. But however long it took, the manna lasted that whole time until they got to that land of milk and honey. Okay, bitter water turns sweet. Bread provided in the desert, and now we have one more incident that has to do with water. The congregation moved on from the wilderness of Sine by stages. They got to Rephidim, and once again, there was no water to drink. Now we have a new verb. Therefore, the people quarreled. What were they doing up to this point? Grumbling. And now they're adding to their grumbling? Quarreling. Quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Now, He'd sort of done that already, right? I mean, he's the one who threw the log in the water, so they might have said, Moses, come on, do it again. You already did this. Give us water to drink. And then Moses once again deflected their quarreling. He had deflected their grumbling and said, you're grumbling against the Lord. And then he says, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? And those two words became the name of that place. The place had two names. It was quarreling and it was testing. But the people thirsted there for water. The people grumbled. So here we have both quarreling, grumbling against Moses. And then, once again, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Moses once again cries out to the Lord. says, what shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And then the Lord's solution is not just pick up a log and throw it in the water. It's a very complicated solution. It's It's a whole scene that he sets up here. He says, take some of the elders of Israel, take in your hand the staff. Now, what, what was that staff for up to this point? That staff was to, was to judge. That staff was to, to bring down curses. That staff was to, to cause death and destruction. That's what the staff was. And he says that here. Take that staff with which you struck the Nile. What happened to the Nile? Do you remember? The waters of the Nile, the waters became death. The waters became blood. And he says, and go, I will stand before you there on the rock and you shall strike the rock and the water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so. And that's what happened. And they called the place quarreling and they called the place testing. And why? Because the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Now, just like Jesus In the first incident, we see that he stepped into the place of the Lord and said to the woman at the well, 
I'll give you water. In the same way, he stepped into the place of the Lord with the manna and said, as we already read in the New Testament reading in John chapter 6, he said that he's the, the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Um, in, in chapter 6 of, of John, it says here in, let's see, where are we? 35, 47. He says here, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So he's standing in the place of the Lord that provides bread and he's identifying himself with the bread. Interesting. So he's the water giver. And he is the water, the living water. He's the bread giver and he is the bread of life. But then we get to this incident with the rock and we find something very curious here. Very curious when Paul describes this incident, he describes the rock as being Christ. Now we can maybe get the water, we can maybe get the bread image, but here, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. What? Water? Living water? Okay. Bread, sustenance, okay, come down from heaven. But the rock was Christ? That seems like a strange description. How is the rock Christ? But then we begin to think about the details of the incident. And we realize that this was a judgment scene. He says to Moses, Moses, take the elders. We need witnesses. So bring the elders, because there is going to be a trial here. My people have quarreled against me. My people have grumbled against me. And I am going to have a judgment, a trial that's going to take place. And take that staff. And what's the staff? The staff is a staff of judgment, the staff of cursing, the staff of death. And this is not looking good for the people. They grumbled, they quarreled, and, and God says, okay, bring the elders and bring the judgment staff but then we read the details. And God says, go to the rock and I will stand on the rock and strike the rock and waters will come out. Well, well, wait. Strike the people, you mean, right? They're the ones who sinned. They're the ones who quarreled. They're the ones who grumbled. Take that staff with which you struck the Egyptians and strike the people. No, he says, I will stand on the rock, strike the rock on which I am standing. And then the living waters will come out. Then the waters of life will come out and give life to my people. Maybe that's what Paul meant when he said, the rock followed them and they drank from the water that came out of the rock and the rock was Christ. Because Christ was the one who was struck for the sins of the people. God was innocent, but he allowed himself to be placed in the dock and to receive the blow of judgment that his people deserved. And that's 
what Christ did for us. And that's probably what Augustus Toplady was thinking when he composed that hymn that we sang today. Rock of ages, what? Cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the waters and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. And he goes on, not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal forever flow? Could my, or could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal no respite know? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul like to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. While I draw this fleeting breath, when my eyes shall close in death, when my soul shall soar to worlds unknown, see thee on thy judgment throne. What's the plea in that day? Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. God satisfied the people with bread. God satisfied the people with water. And he did so by taking upon himself the judgment that his people deserved. God does the same for us, and more so. He supplies not only our, our needs now, but he promises to supply all of our needs forever and ever and ever. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 15, we read, Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. What do you need in the wilderness? You need shelter. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb is in the midst of the throne, will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. God was put into the dock because he was accused of not being with his people, of abandoning them in the wilderness. And now we read that God will be with them. The, the, the lamb will be in the midst of the throne and will be their shepherd and provide for all of our needs. So, we had our time of singing. A victory song. Victory of the Lord. He gave us the victory, as it were, at the Red Sea. And we go out of this place today rejoicing because of all that He's done for us. And let's not grumble. Let's not quarrel. We don't need to do that. Because we confess that God supplies all of our needs today. And God will satisfy all of our needs for all of eternity. And so we can go out of this place and live the rest of our lives Rejoicing. Rejoicing, no matter how difficult it gets here, no matter how rough, no matter how big the trials are, because we are those who confess God supplies all of our needs and always will. God satisfies us with everything we need. And so the idea is this. If we confess that we will, for, we will forever be satisfied with Christ, then let's get a jump on it today. 
and start by practicing being satisfied with him now. Let's pray. Oh God, you give us all that we need. We read about water, we read about bread, we read about water again, and all of this points us to Jesus. We're not making that up. Your, your, your word does that in the New Testament. It takes these and it leads us to Jesus. And we see that he is the one who gives the water of life. He's the, the bread that's come down from heaven. And he is that rock that was cleft for us so that we might be cleansed and satisfied. Oh, God, satisfy our souls once again. And we pray that you would spare us from grumbling and quarreling, that you would focus once again on Jesus and the satisfaction we have in him that we would eat and drink constantly of, of all of his provision so that we could go on our way rejoicing, not grumbling because of what we don't have and not, not quarreling to get what we, we desire, but rejoicing in what we do have. All the heavenly blessings, all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ now and for all eternity. Lord, may we go on our way singing and making melody in our hearts because of the satisfaction that we have through the rock of ages who was cleft for us.